arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Take care of our kids. You got nothing to worry about. That is so weird. The wind is blowing toward the storm. It's okay. Lightning doesn't strike twice. Where's the thunder? Robbie, you saw the lightning? Yeah, 26 times on Lincoln Avenue. these things want and why are they here you still don't get it do you boy they have recruited the rich and the powerful they're running the whole show wake up they're all about you all around you i've played clips from war of the worlds and independence day to demonstrate just a little bit of alien recklessness the Vargad emnis is the second book in the sojourn series which begins with the highest creod in the realm sard the Vargat Gaman. Of course, Sard has human attributes, just carried a little bit to the extreme. Sadistic, yet respecting of loyalty and remembering loyalty. Brutalistic and bold. Sard hates all members of the Mantari race and freely commits torturous genocide. Not the kind of guy you'd want living down the block. We'll watch this executioner in action shortly. Here is episode one of the Vargademnis, part of the Soldier series by Robert P. Fitton, beginning now. Chapter 41. Roik's realm commands were to kill all Mantari inferiors and destroy their Urkums. But now he was worried. Sard's specific instructions demanded he find the seventh Tabun Shah Urkum. After fighting the Tabun Shah leaders so long ago, in the proximity battles and the final battle of Galga, Sard spread his death empire by decimating six of the nine Mantari Urkums. All inferiors were vaporized from existence, yet the Tabun Shah survived. Now as Nakitim's scream flashed with the usual fluctuating Piqua readings, although lower in intensity than the conquered Urkums, towering clear Tabun Shah monoliths house great energy. Repeated attacks and attempts to enter the monoliths on other Urkums were usually unsuccessful. Sarit suspected a warp tunnel connected all Mantari Urkums. The fourth blue Urkum of this uncharted system ahead indicated an extensive Mantari population. The possibility existed that he had stumbled upon the lost ancestral home of the Tabun Shah. He crossed the dark Iasin in his silver battle suit and leaned over the glowing Nikitim screen. Vast oceans, like all other Mantari worlds, enveloped the Urkum and the thin clouds traced the brown continents. He longed for his home Urkum's heavy hanging mist and darkened swamps. Huda, navigate the Azakar over the central city. Yes, Paraska. Roy held the Nikitim. Is this a stagnant, inferior civilization? 
With the exception of the power readings, no sign of progress, Prowaska. It would appear that they used lower creatures for labor and transport, answered Huda. Good. All the inferiors will be taught the supreme lesson of the realm, and they will suffer for the sins of their Tabanshar ancestors. At 78 cross units above the surface, Roik could still not truly determine the extent of this Urkham's civilization. His thin lip vibrated as he contemplated placing Azakar shooters against the inferiors. He hoped as he soared through the blue skies they might see his spiked Azakar arriving from above. Incomprehensible fear would spread throughout the inferior villages before the attack. He would not destroy the Urkham directly but institute a slow, gradual destruction and allow the inferiors to suffer slowly. On the forward Nakedom, the Azakar swooped over the water ocean and skimmed the surface. The populated city formed complex tactical patterns on all Nakedoms. Unlike his home Urkham's lofty towers above the clouds, these fools had designated this city with ground buildings. Reich stepped across the Azikar's Isian to the larger forward Nikitim. The little wooden and mud structures along the shore annoyed him. Situate the Azikar near the city. Let them fear the wrath of the realm. Yes, Prolaska, answered Huta from his station. The inferiors scattered on the roads and into the alleys as the Azikar moved into position over the buildings. Reich's long fangs emerged along his thin lips. With all the creeping vermus within his shell, he hated every Mantari who had ever lived. As an officer of the realm, he took satisfaction in their fright. They moved like insects behind the shelter of buildings and into underground tunnels. Miserable creatures, look at them, petrified and running for fear. Would a Creod turn away from battle? No, Proaska, answered Huta. They are inferior. Roik waited until they had hidden. Let us continue the battle. Bring the Azakar outside the city for embarkation. Yes, Prowaska. Less than an A-cross unit from the settled area, Huta guided the Azakar over a wide green meadow, surrounded by trees and a river wandering into the countryside. Roik strutted across the Isian and watched the forward Nakedim as the Azakar slowly descended. Then he ordered two Selvats to accompany him through the outside port. Inferiors deserved death, he thought, as he personally retrieved the Selvet's fully charged shooters from the arsenal and tucked in his own shooter in his side sheath. Let them suffer the transgressions of Tabun Shah. He checked the outside readings on the Nakedom. Then he led them toward the port. The same disturbing atmosphere as all the inferior Urkums. No cloud formations, Proaska, said the senior Selvet. We will not have to be exposed to their Azor's harsh light for too long. How do they exist in direct Azor's light? asked the other Selvet. They are miserable creatures, replied Rourke as they reached the port. He glanced at the trees through the transparency. What would you expect from creatures who do not have the capacity to reproduce spontaneously as we do? Inferiors, they answered. Rourke's upper lip vibrated. They and most of their disgusting Urkham life forms must merge and join their genetic material. He pushed the portal loxy on the tiny Nakedom. There are exceptions, but not many. And surely no intelligent forms of life on this miserable Urkham. Crude beings, said the senior Salvert. Nor do they possess the Vermoose, the inner force. 
Yes, Proaska. Rourke's upper lip vibrated again and he nodded. He handed his salvage sets of matrix shields for protection against cementary Azos. The glare subsided once he placed the shield over his own matrixes. These creatures are interdependent, beyond duty. Adjust your shields. Exposure beyond a few desks can damage your matrixes. Yes, Praska. Open lock. The port slid open and they moved inside the stabilizer locks. The Irkham's air whooshed through the side jets. Roy checked across the meadow grass and along the deep-hued forest growth. His personal Nakedom showed the inferiors and their lower creatures hiding behind adjacent trees. The port slowly retracted once the air equalized and the shadow of the Azakar's spiked silver hull extended across the grass. His preference involved attacking these beings with his faster and smaller personal Pizakar, but he did not want to deny his salvats the pleasure of the kill. Your orders, Proaska. Plot the inferior positions on your shooter scans. His Nakedom displayed the woods and nine inferiors behind a wall of stones and ore trees. Some sat atop their lower creatures. Discharge shooters. Three intense green bolts burst into the woods. One tree toppled and branches shattered. A few fires ignited and the white smoke twisted above the branches. Some of the inferiors, knocked down from their lower creatures, produced painful cries that echoed back to the meadow. Their pain sent his vermouth charging through his shell. They are still alive, Proaska! A quick scan showed five Mantari dead on the forest floor. Two wounded retreated through the woods. Again! Fire again! More trees snapped as if hit by the winds of a powerful Urkham storm. Roik moistened his selvats across the meadow. According to the Nakedams, the remaining two inferiors remained trapped at the end of a smoky forest swarth. Roik leaped over the two smoldering trees. In the bushes, he spotted the two light-skinned inferiors, red saurine leaking from their ripped flesh. He aimed his shooter at the highest setting. Thin green aptar lines enveloped the horrified inferiors, producing a brilliant white glow before they vanished in a puff. Two additional inferiors fleeing, shouted his senior salvat. Roy gazed over the smoke columns. We will relish in taking them in personal combat. As he hurtled over the debris, Roy sensed the salvat's raw excitement. He ascended a wooden knoll, untouched by shooter fire. Two inferiors hit against a rock ledge, but quickly limped down a side trail. His selvats easily overtook them. Roik's serrated jaw slowly expanded from his appendage graspers. He swung his craw across the creature's shoulder, ripped open its outer flesh, and sent saurine exploding. The inferior screamed as Roik lifted it into the air by its chin. He thrust his craw through the mantari stomach, puncturing the inner cavity and back. The inferior's dark eyes rolled upward. He threw the body across the ground. It had died too quickly. Methodically removing the graspers from the inferior's appendages provided a more rewarding torture. Roik jabbed at the tiny blue matrixes. The resulting pain was worth the chase. He allowed his selvats to continue the dismemberment. He proceeded along the rocks and instituted a full scan back to the main city. As the Mantari Azos shined brightly through the trees, he longed for the swampy cover of his home Urkham's Heistia trees. 
Nakedim showed hundreds of creatures gathered in subterranean chambers below the city, rounding up the inferiors for transport to the Aragosta, and participation in the Hamian Psalter games would please Sard. Chapter 42 The young Tolton witnessed the utter attack from atop his mighty Alphras. When he heard reports of the alien ships hovering like pointed swords in the sky and the sightings of enormous green creatures stalking the meadows, he almost believed the ancient Tabanshah writings. Panic had spread throughout his people, yet he had no course of action as he approached the fires across the meadows, kicked his Alphras and galloped down the wooded trail back to the fortress. How could Tabunshar, if they existed, allow this to happen to his people? The grassy ground thundered near the edge of the village. Over the fluffy treetops, the sharp-edged silver alien vessel circled, and another beam ripped through the forest. The Tolton nudged his furry Alphras down the road toward the red lathstone pillars on either side of the fortress gate. Some of his people had left the safety of the tunnels and now roamed the streets. The mob would become unruly once the others, especially the Tab and Shah worshippers, converged around his fortress. As Tolton of this Al-Basharian enclave, he had sworn to defend his subjects. With no answers, he rode through the open iron gates. The gray uniform Elnia soldiers, protected by black chest shields and wrapped around helmets, raised their glistening swords toward the twisted blue fortress spindles. An unruly mob filled the square as he dismounted the Alphras. Perrin appeared on the stone balcony. When he spotted the Tolton, he scampered down the stucco-lined stairs. He knelt on one knee and quickly stood. Tolton, the people are demanding that you stop the alien ships. The Tolton looked around. Where are the rest of my personnel down there? They fled underground when the alien ship appeared in the sky. The Tolton suppressed his anger only because of his sense of duty. He started across the dusty courtyard. I have been at the metal power, and I assure you, nothing can be done. Tolton, how do we fight them? We don't. The Tolton reached the worn stone stairs and stopped. I need to confer with the Plavka and share the ancient knowledge. You have shunned the ancient knowledge. He looked back to the distant smoke rising into the sky. At this moment, I long for the ancient knowledge. What do I tell the people? asked Perrin from below. The Tolton grabbed the rail and bounded up the smooth grain stairs. He turned to the terrified Perrin once he reached the upper level. You tell them the Tolton is conferring with the keepers of the ancient writings. Tell them all will be well with Tabunshar. He looked beyond the courtyard. Hundreds of people stormed down the secondary road to the fortress gates. He pivoted and crossed the highly polished gold-veined black tiles. The intricate wall carvings from Shelbane and the captured gold crawlivases from the ancient hill peoples had little value now with Abu Shah threatened. He ran along the balustrade above the red-carpeted Grand Hall below. Never in his twenty-five years had he given credence to the writings of Tabun Shah. Only the Plavka had the ancient knowledge to fight the aliens. He hoped the ancient knowledge stored in the chambers deep below the fortress would save his planet. Not sure he would survive the alien attacks, the Tolton leaped down the damp stone stairs beneath his fortress. 
Moisture leaked through the rock crevices onto the floor once he reached the lower constricted tunnel. Years had passed since he hobbled through this passage. He traipsed along the slippery dirt. The tunnel straightened near the intricately carved gold door and the rough rocks ahead. He marveled at the artistic detail and vivid depiction of scenes from the Taban Shar at the Battle of Galga. The bulky aliens depicted on the doorframe now wanted to destroy Albashar. He lifted the gold entry alaktar and pounded on the door. The heavy door slowly opened, revealing the six aging Plafka members in white robes tied with twisted red braids at the waist. With fingers at the temples, they meditated around a large clear pyramid atop a thick black slab table. The pyramid matched the crooksel he had refused to hang around his neck. He had never trusted in the lost Taban leaders, and even now he had grave doubts, but he sensed no other option. Navis! shouted the Tolton. The eldest Plavka turned with his translucent blue eyes toward the Tolton. You have broken our resignation. Two Plavka members helped him to his feet. As he shuffled through the room, they began meditating again. Nevis's tired and raspy voice evidenced anger. This is a sacred room. Do you know what just happened in the meadow? Nevis rolled his eyes and raised his fingers. Stop your meditation, old man, and find answers for me. Nevis meditated for a few more moments before opening his moist, dark eyes. I know why you are among us now, Tonto. How often have you joined us in meditating, Dutavan Shah? The evil is around us now. Attacks are beginning as prophesied. And now you, you demand help. You will help me if you value Al-Bashar. Again, Nevis placed his fingertips against the straggly white hair wisp along his temples. He raised his strained voice. It has begun! The evil! The killing! maiming with their inconceivable power. The interventions, time grows short. Find the ancient writings, you old fool. The Tolton clenched his fists when Nevis rolled his eyes again. What do the ancient writings say? The time has arrived. It is time. It is time. The Tolton grabbed the old man's slumping shoulders. Time for what? I demand you tell me what you are babbling about. His eyes remained fixed. You must meditate. It is your only hope. Like you and the rest of them? The Tolton lifted his clear cruxel. Meditate? Wear this cruxel of my ancestors? And for what? What has it ever given me? Trust that the cruxel will lead to the final victory of the Suryav Khan over the intervengeance. I don't care about the Suryaf Khan. I am an Al-Basharian who questions Tabanshar. I ask, how could they allow any of this to happen? I hate them. I hate the suffering they allow. No, Tolton. Tabanshar is your refuge against the interventions. Where is the ancient knowledge of our ancestors? The unbeliever now trusts Tabanshar. Silence. Tolton tightened his wrist. Al-Bashar is about to be destroyed. I will trust in whatever will save my planet. Nevis clapped his hands. Bring forth the word of Tabun Shah. The Plafka broke meditation. 
The Tolton tightened his brow when Nevis wandered back to the circle, and they began a low, humming chant. They reached forward and placed their fingers against the smooth pyramid. The clear pyramid slowly lifted off the table. The apex sent a burst of brilliant green light upward. The shimmering brightness spread and cascaded over the cracked chamber walls. What is this? demanded the Tolton, holding his arms out. Praise be to Tabun Shah. I was not aware of this. Praise be to Tabun Shah. The Tolton shielded his eyes. Who made this light that glows with no fire? Trust in Tabun Shah. I trust in myself. An outlined depiction of the village formed on the wall below the levitated pyramid. A green web dome spread over a red and yellow representation of the village. Tolton turned back to the group. What is this drawing? Protection of the village, said Nevis, his white beard shaded in the green light, provided by the ancient ones. Well, this cannot be, said the Tolton. More attacks will be thrust upon us, but we will be safe if we trust in Tabun Shah. The Tolton studied the detailed web and imagined the alien ships in the skies above the village. I will believe in nothing until I see it happen. Chapter 43 100,000 Creods aboard the Aragosta submitted their lives to Sard. His battlecruiser's rusty hull extended more than an A-cross unit against the starry night. Green and red cruising lights flashed as the mighty vessel hummed through open space. No Azakar could match the Aragosta's size or battle readiness. He longed to watch his cluster Azakars gracefully accelerate off the upper decks into battle. He fully exposed his fangs and he thought of the Mantarian inferiors and how he had annihilated them and spread his death empire on Altashar sixteen reefs ago. After the battle, Tark had disappeared inside the Tabunshah shrine. His Awas would not share the glory once Sard located and destroyed the final three Mantari Urkums. Sard would find the Tabunshah hiding like cowards on one of the last Urkums. The Tabunshah had conquered his home Urkum and retreated, leaving the Mantari inferiors to occupy the swamps and the towers. The Tabunshah never intervened as the inferiors committed unforgivable atrocities. Sard would not achieve the revenge he needed until he murdered the last inferior and had removed the Tabunshah from the Humea. Only the complacent upper echelon leaders blocked his path. The upper echelon established as a Creod council after Sard drove the inferiors off the home Urkum, had no interventions to conquer and destroy the enemies of the realm. Sard would no longer follow their orders. He wanted to extricate them from power by death and rule the realm himself. Sard studied the upper decks as he started down the incline. The upper echelon shunned him rather than acknowledge he saved the realm from the inferiors by establishing his death empire. They wanted to maintain the safe course and not ferret out the remaining Manteri Urkums. That strategy left the realm vulnerable to Tabun Shah. Sard reasoned the Tabun Shah apparage, although safely harbored in some unknown corner of the Humea, would someday challenge his Azakars in battle cruises again. The upper echelon had forgotten the home Urkham occupation 
but Sard's thoughts, like open wounds, surged with the intervengeance because of the spilled Creod saurine. His belt fram sounded, and he took it with his grasper. What is it? Rocket Garmin Roik is transmitting from his Azakar. Sard wishes to speak with him now. The Fram's signal faltered. Rocket Garmin, I have news of another Mantariarchum. Roik, Sard has awaited your reply. Tell Sard of the Urkum. Is it their home, Urkum, Roik? In Urkum, they call Albashar. We have captured the inferiors and will present them to you, Vargar Garmin. Sard is pleased by the news. You will be honored for your efforts. This roar will be remembered in glory. Describe the inferior Urkum's defense. None. I offer this Urkum to the Aragosta. I wish Sard to have the satisfaction of the final and inferior annihilation into the Death Empire. Sard is in your debt. Your present position, Roy. 20,000 across units. Uta has inputted the position into the Aragostas Nakinum. The realm will eliminate Albashar and every man Tariurkum until the Tabashar is found, and Sard will return in glory to the home Urkum. I am your servant, Margaret Garmin. Sard never forgets loyalty. Sard continued along the span and gazed over the hundreds of bright hull lights below. His fangs touched his lips as he compressed his graspers without extending his craw. At last he would share the glory of another battle. Soon the other Urkums would fall, and he would find the Tabun Shah to engage in the final battle predicted in the ancient Mantari writings. His serrated curved gray craw finally extended beyond his graspers as he turned to his fram. Get me Anka. The older, weakened voice vibrated on the fram. This is Anka. Sard brings you news of another Mantari Urkum about to fall to the Death Empire. News of glory, perhaps worthy of discussion in the Echelon Towers. Silver-uniformed Selvets dropped to their knees as he passed in the open corridor. Sard will join you. Prepare a Conta potion. He heard Anka's lip vibrate in jest. Do you still trust me to sustain a contact potion? We will celebrate more inferior deaths and prepare for the Hamian Sutra games. It shall be. Sard touched the pad and the wall opened from a tiny black pinhole and closed quickly once he was inside the osel. Anka's thin body frame floated in the shimmering low-intensity blue yestic fields. At Galga, his once powerful friend participated in personal combat. His body shell had faded to a frosty blue semblance of its once great strength. His matrixes were swollen and cloudy. Sard would not demonstrate pity. Anka still possessed the intervengeance and would carry out his duty gallantly. The yestic fields dampened and Anka slowly rotated upright. Sard lifted a silver absorption cluster from the table. He gripped the sharp edges and moved the cluster to Anka. The contour seeped into his long grasp of membranes and calmed his aggression. Anka held the edges. Sard proposes death to the last vestige of the Tabun Shah. To the ultimate triumph of our race. 
side will not cross what you say. We have seen many battles. We have struggled on the home Urkham, and were first alerted when the Tabun Shah contacted the Danyo settlement. Side retracted his graspers from the cluster. He sat on the rester and let the contact drain his thoughts. Anka was seated in the smaller rester across the table when he scanned again with his matrix. Danjos was many reefs ago. So were the first battles in the Awen Mountains. The Tabun Shah placed alpen shooters on the surrounding Urkums. You were a Proaska and I a Vargan. Only your superior battlefield maneuvers brought them down. 675,000 Selvets fell. Sard will avenge those deaths. We were forced back to the home Urkum. We fought and they still pushed us back. Inferiors on our home Urkum. Sard will never forgive this. Eventually, the invaders were removed and were recovered all the realm's settlements and Urkums. The Tabun Shah returned to fight Sard at Galga, but they fled. Sard diminished his matrixes and leaned his torso back. Yet Sard cannot find them, nor can his advanced Azakars. Their amperage is gone. The captured works of the Tabun Shah tell much. At my advanced age, I have to ponder the inner thoughts of their civilization. Let them have their inferior inner thoughts. Sard kept his matrixes dull. Sard only wants them to reside in the Death Empire. Anka said nothing for a long time, and Sard felt the hum of the vessel. Sard, all of the conquered Urkums have references to Tabun Shah. It is said that Tabun Shah joins with mines. Tabun Shah may have left our very dimension. Their saber is quite detailed. The actual Mantari designation is the Jurian Daphina Saber, which means the ancient knowledge. I have read only parts of the saber. Ramblings of inferiors, said Sard. He scanned his matrixes as Anchor leaned toward him. Ramblings or prophecy? The words speak of the final battle, perhaps the greatest battle. They have you believing their stories. No, Sard, no. He looked up, his strained voice weakened. Pay heed to what is written. Use the information in your battle planning. The Saber speaks of the Suryaf Khan journeying to lead the Mantari against us. How would they know such things? Anka's matrixes wavered when he stood. He trudged across his osal and opened a panel in the dark wall. With his graspers, he held a thick, frayed-bound book. He set it on the rough-edged table. The saber was confiscated before we won at Gan Elliot in the fourth Mantari Urkum. The references to the Suryaf Khan repeat throughout the writings. Sard finds the words of inferiors is not of substance. Anka opened the book to a place marked with a faded gold ribbon. From the first millennia, he will arrive from a distant land for the final battle. All depends on he who has been awaited. History's road leads to reflections of the final battle. What was will be again. O Mantari, allow him to chart his way. He is the Suryaf Khan, 
leading the unbelievers from the planet's heart. Let them fight one another. Silence, Anka! Enough of inferior thoughts! Anka slowly closed the book and rested it on his leg appendage. Sard! Is Sard supposed to reverse the Aragostas course and hide on the home Urkum? Should he run from this Surrey of Khan? It's prudent to know the words. Sard stood abruptly. What should Sard expect from a race that worships Tarbanshah? Predilections of weak minds, having to convince themselves their inevitable deaths are something more than the cessation of life. May the Juria Daphiana Seba go the way of its authors, the lost civilization of Tarbanshah, into the Death Empire. Sard will not challenge your position. He activated his Nakinum. You are checking the tactical from Roik, and you will send the report to the upper echelon. Sard will notify them of Proaska Roik's discovery. The red and yellow tactical showed Al-Bashara still far away. Sard touched the Nakitim. The Selvets sat in their positions around the Icean rim. Sard wishes to reach the upper echelon on the Orsborg channel. It will be done, Barger Gammon, said Juru at the contact station. The echelon will be elated by the news, said Anka. Sard is not so sure. His greatest concern is the realm will not be prepared. We must bolster our readiness. Anka released the cluster and faced Sard. Surely they must understand Mantari treachery. Only fools would not. How soon they forget the past. Sard does not think the members deserve the positions they hold. Bold words, even for a Varger gammon. These are the words that Sard knows to be true. Lowering our guard would spell doom for all 79 Urkums of the realm. The Nakedum slowly beeped and showed a depiction of the Orsborg Channel's shielded communication across the Humea to his home Urkum. He visualized the three upper echelon members materializing from their offices above the clouds. Sard's always Tark perfected the Orsborg. Sard needs Tark's cleverness as a Rubicon now. We have linked, Varger Garmin. Anchors also shifted with the incoming signal and the sloping glass of the echelon towers formed along the outside wall. The pale magenta sky brightened above the gray fluffy clouds. Both of the home Urkums surrounding red Urkums shone near the dark horizon. The three most powerful creods in the realm conferred at a black triangular table. Echelon timidity and the lack of military background hindered their ability to carry out proper decisions. According to protocol, Sard fell to his knees. You may rise, Sard, said Ayak. Sard loathed his dull, rambling voice. Ayak had worked his way through the legislative chambers and understood politics, but knew nothing of security. He only cared about presenting the proper image. The Esalon has been notified of your pending report, Bargain Garmin. You have submitted a report on some Urkum mission bargain, added Frond. He turned to the leader of the group. What do you think, Bojack? The little creod stood squarely across the room. I want to know the details of this Urkum contact. Sard is pleased to announce the sighting of the seventh Mantari Urkum, El-Bashar. I see. Another step closer to the Mantari elimination into the Empire of Death. 
Botrak's upper lip vibrated and his matrix swirled blue under the mesh. Do you really think this contact is a significant military security problem? Sard fought the movement of his fangs. Excellency, surely you can understand the Mantari threat. Botchak stepped closer. Threat? Maybe the Mantari and the Tabuchar have been threats in the past, but where are they now? Mantari are a direct threat to the realm, said Sard in a louder voice. To deny that reality is to deny the security of the realm. We, Vargard, will make that decision. Yes, and we all agree, said Ayak. It is the opinion of the Echelon that continued Mantari campaigns are not profitable to the realm. Yes, added Frond. Our patience for your obsession and amusement is both costly and useless. Sard would have killed him with his craw had they even standing in front of him. The ability of Tabunshah to shield themselves is the ultimate enigma. Yes, we understand that, said Ayark, checking his Nakedom on the table. Tabunshah has been missing since Golgar countless reefs ago, said Bochik. The inferiors are a threat, stated Sard, turning away as the tops of his fangs pushed outward. Only the Death Empire will stop them. There will be no Death Empire, said Bocek. Sard's fangs moved outward, but he quickly retracted. You persist in calling these creatures inferior, said Frond. All Mantari are inferior. Bocek's lip vibrated. Then how is it these inferiors elude you? Sard kept his back shell away from them. His fangs sharpened near his chin and his craw pulsed, ready to swipe a deadly swart. The Humeyard is a vast... Where is the Taban Shah, Sard? asked Bocek. Sard insists they have survived. The upper echelon fools, hidden in their tower, away from the tensions of battle and reality. Sard retracted his fangs and turned. Why do you discount the reports Sard has gained from each of his victories? Scurrilous reports, answered Bocek. If the Tabunshar still existed, they would have come to the aid of their own Urkums. They do not exist. The saber of the Tabunshar speaks of the final battle, said Sard. That time has not yet arrived, but the battle is predicted. We must be prepared for the Tabunshar to emerge from hiding. Sard intends to win that final battle. Bachok again moved closer. Sard could easily crush Bachok's head quickly. Tabachar is a self-perpetuated myth, like all myths designed to help combat the harshness of reality. What do you tell, Sard? Your orders, Vargar Garmin, are to destroy Albashar on the seventh Tabachar Urkum. Like all the other conquered Urkums, it will be colonized and a suitable atmosphere created. When this campaign is over, you will bring the Aragoster back to the home Urkum. The Mantari campaigns will be over, and we will celebrate in the assembly hall with our people. Before Asari could respond, the upper echelon vanished on the Orsborg channel. His thin yellow tongue twitched between his exposed fangs. He tightened his graspers and flailed about Anchor's ossel. They fear Sard. They fear Sard amongst his people. They will not push Sard aside and send him to some remote region of the Humea. Sard will never comply with these orders. The 
occupying the upper echelon is not an option. Sard walked up to his old friend and scanned his matrixes. Sard is searching. For what? Power. Power over them. Power over his people. Sard deserves nothing less than total power as a reward for his victories. The realm boasts of 79 Urkums, soon to be 80, all due to the campaigns of Sard. While they stood sedentary in their precious towers, protected and shielded, Sard performed the risks of battlefield duties. Sard marched with his selfets and never renounced the fight. What are you saying? Sard is saying, old friend, that when this Minteri Urkum Albashar is taken, Sard will indeed return to the home Urkum as they have requested. But Sard will not submit to fools. He will return in glory to consume the upper echelon into the Death Empire. For Sard wishes nothing less than to take the home Urkum and assume power over the realm and its people. Chapter 44 As Sard's Azakar break deep into the Urkum surround, the Nakitam screen showed a primitive city with no high buildings. Roik's position in the meadow flashed red on the tactical portion of the screen. This meadow would provide a good staging area where Sard could crush the inferiors. Air pushed out the side thrusters as the Azakar now descended vertically into the open area, settled into place on the ground. Even through the Ceres, the Albasharian Azor stung his matrixes, and he quickly moved the protector into place. The port whooshed open. In anticipation of his arrival, two Selvet contingents faced each other and fell on their appendages as he marched in his silver battle suit down the ramp. Rise, he ordered. Westix! The contingents thrust their glistening Westix into the inferior air. Sard scanned the meadow. Roik promised the sacrifice of one inferior for each of the realm's 79 Urkums. He faced Sard again and raised his westick. Hail, Sard! Margaret Gamun! Other Selvets marched the line of minuscule, light-skinned inferiors into the clearing. Some were beaten and others already had gaping wounds, but all were able to walk. The cowards silently stood before Sard in the glare of the Albasharian Azores. What have you prepared, Rike? Asked Sard. Margaret Gammon, I present to you the enemies of the realm. The enemies of the realm are accepted. He dragged his westick from the sheath and faced the inferiors. A few whined in their groveling alien tongues. Sard's upper lip vibrated as he lifted the Westick's sharp edge and whacked the nearest inferior's shoulder, slicing off its appendage. Red inferior saurine splatted over the grass. Sard could feel the inner vengeance thrive as the inferiors wailed and others raced forward. Alert Selvets quickly cut them down. Sard lowered his Westick again and severed the screaming inferior's other appendage. The useless creature fell to the ground, screeching in pain as it squirmed and slithered to its death on the grass. Suffer the sins of your inferior race into the Death Empire. Carry forth your destiny, shouted Roik. 
Tsarid Salvats wielded their westics with great efficiency before the first inferiors expired. The cries for pity amidst the raw flesh energized him. He joined the Selvats in the saurine-drenched slaughter and hacked off the inferiors' heads and appendages. A few stray moans soon faded to a deathly, victorious silence. Bargar Garmin, I have the honor of presenting the Urkum, Al-Bashar, to you. And what is the foremost desire of the contingent, Proaska? The desire of the contingent is to take this Urkum for the greater glory of the realm. Sarg accepts your challenge. He grabbed his frame and summoned the Aragosta. Sarg has accepted the challenge of his Selvar contingents. Begin the destruction of Al-Bashar, but save this main village until the end. Sarg wishes to inflict his own form of terror. Instantly, compressed green Pequa pushed through the distant, high, thin clouds. Along the horizon, debris lifted into the air forming cloud trails that signaled the beginning of the carnage. Sard gazed up at the tree-lined hill to an inferior building with a strange blue tower. Everything will be destroyed after the hunt. Roik fell in homage. You have my loyalty as a target of the realm. You have lived the destiny of a Proaskar and Sard is proud that you serve him. I am in service to you alone, Vargar Garment. You may rise. He said, looking again toward the tower. Sard wishes additional placement information on the remaining Albasharian positions. It will be done, Varga Garmin. He motioned to one of his Rubicans. He carried a square Nakedim across the meadow. Sard studied the red and yellow depiction. Five main cities around the Urkum. It is glorious. Thousands are dead. The other inferiors, Roik. Sard placed his saurine-covered westick back at its sheath. Inferiors have been suspended in the field until the Hamian Salter games. Sard needs amusement for the voyage to the Homerkum. Roik followed him away from the Salvats. During what is to come, Sard also needs your undying loyalty, Roik. I will give my life for you, Margaret Garmin. The Salvats opened up their shooters and vaporized additional inferior corpses. Sard brought Roik along the smoldering trees away from the drifting, pungent odor of the inferior dead. Our next campaign will not be directed against the Mantari or the Tarvonshah. I do not understand. Roik's matrix is dull. Do we have a new enemy, Margaret Garmin? Our enemy is our old enemy. An enemy who thinks in outdated terms. An enemy that will not give the Vargar Garmin the respect he deserves. Our enemy is powerful and resourceful. The enemy must be squeezed from a position of power. Sard will choke the shipping lanes and recruit Selvans of the realm to do his bidding. Sard will extinguish the weakness and create a new sense of purpose worthy of our heritage. And who is the enemy, Vargar Garmin? enemy is the upper echelon. Chapter 45. At dawn, atop the fortress spires, the Tolton watched in amazement as the mass of aliens advanced like huge green animals over the ridge grass. The Plafka's shield protected the fortress from the energy out of the sky. How would he stop the hordes from marching through the gates? 
Hundreds of his Elnir soldiers were ready inside the courtyard gates. The Elnir had placed additional loyal subjects along the fortress turrets and barrier walls. They leaned forward with crossbows, probably in abject fear of encountering the powerful alien weapons. And where was precious Tabun Shah? While they had left the defensive shield, would they suddenly reappear from their long-imposed exile? His personal Elnir guard, eyes glossy and beard stubble, dark in the morning sun, gazed out over the ridges. Aaron, what hope do we really have? I do not see any hope, Tolton. They are armed and will do what their sky weapons could not do. Perhaps you should formulate surrender terms. Surrender to be tortured and murdered? In the meadow where he rode the Alphras every morning, thousands of silver uniforms moved onto the dirt road from the tall grass. Even from a distance he saw their blue mesh eyes embedded in their oversized green heads. Then we will all go down together. Or flee the ancient catacombs. I will flee only if there is no hope. He drew his sword from the clean leather holder. Years of competition in the fortress would never prepare him for this battle. He studied the morning shadows across the meadows one final time and fixed the images in his mind should he die on this day. He marched with Perrin down the darkened spire steps, lightened occasionally by an open window. The Elnir soldiers cheered when he reached the barrier wall. Gripping his sword, he walked stiffly to the wall, overlooking the soldiers in the courtyard. I want your leadership, Tolton, said Perrin. The Tolton faced the soldiers in the courtyard and along the barrier wall. Ours has always been a planet of peace. Love and friendship have been our values. But now we face an ancient foe from the sky. That foe has chosen to stake out Al-Basharian soil. I accept their challenge. He pushed his sword upward. We will fight the hordes in the meadow on the river plains and at the fortress walls until we have vanquished their shadows off the sacred soil of our planet. Your commands, Tolton, asked Perrin. Elnir masters, stand by your bows. A hundred elite soldiers in brown leather cloaks raised their black polished bows over the fortress walls. The aliens, silver uniforms reflecting in the sun, swayed in unison until they marched toward the fortress. He longed to puncture their green-shelled bodies with his sword, but as he prepared to give the order, he kept wondering if the Tabin Shah would end the pending carnage. Sard marched ahead of his selvet columns. He saw the Urkham lead his ossal across the clearing. Nakedim scan showed the inferior selvets packed behind hide gates and along the upper stone walls. Again, he grabbed the fram from his belt. Uda. Hit them again. Shake them. It will be done, Vargat Garmin. Shoot a fire pulsed from the sky, but the green peak was scattered over a rounded area above the village. The treachery of Tarbon Shah. Only they could have left this field in place. They must be here. Here on Al Do your orders stand, Vargat Garmin? Asked one of the Proascas behind him. Sard checked the enlarged view on his Nakedum. The inferior stood on the upper wall fortifications. Sard's standing order demanded the Selvets loop their form ladders over the high walls and slay the defenders valiantly. 
His selvage would have a taste of Mantari soaring. He clipped his fram and waved his grasper. To the ground! As the Proascas relayed the order down the column, Stambix whizzed above. Several selvits fell. Others plucked the Stambix from their shells. Sarad stormed ahead of the column and personally fired his shooter along the wall, brushing the inferiors back inside. Even though his shooter functioned under the high shield, he wanted to savor the ground combat. He drew his westick and held it high as his inner vengeance soared. Death to all inferiors. Death, death, that they should shed Creon Saurian. He charged through the village gates toward the fortifications ahead. His selvits created the enhancing glowing blue ladders and sent the claw anchors over the high-formed walls. The inferiors ceased shooting their stambics. A second selvit group produced ramming rods and smashed them against the front gates. He followed his selvits up the ladders and over the top. The inferiors huddled under the canopy retreated along the wall. As he led his selvits forward, he swung his westick wildly and he relished the invigorating sound of metal slicing through Mantari flesh. One of the Mantari selvits rushed him, yelling and cursing in a foreign tongue. He hacked off a portion of the inferior's head and lanced the body of another approaching defender. The dead lay scattered on the worn stone walkway and stairs. Sard was about to move toward his selvits when one of the inferiors leaped from the overhang. With his fangs fully exposed, Sard swiped his craw into the inferior's arm and the creature dropped his sword. He moved quickly and pierced the inferior at the waist. Then he gnawed at its appendage. Parts of the corpse fell to the stone and Sard chewed on the rest of the ripped red flesh. Ahead, his selvage chased the defenders off the upper wall and down the stairs. More creods broke through the main gates. A massive inferior staggered back. His selvits could now attack from two points. As he turned, one of the inferiors, dressed in a bright red uniform, spoke in a loud voice at the end of the wall. Sarad activated his appendage and Akitim so he could hear the words. The Mantari held up a thin westick in his hand. I am the Tolton. You come to destroy my people. You are an inferior, and your race of inferiors deserve to die. Better to die than to submit to the Tolton bravely moved closer, gently swaying his westick. I will kill you. Sod respects a brave Selvert, even an inferior Selvert. Sard may spare you from the Death Empire. The Tolton raised his westick. Sard easily smashed it, but the Tolton retrieved it, and he again lunged at Sard. Sard's upper lip vibrated as he swung his grasper into the Tolton's protective bones. The Tolton fell onto the stone walkway, holding his mid-cavity. Sard placed his westick blade against the light-skinned inferior's neck. You are part of a worthless race. Kill me, so I won't see your sickening form. A brave inferior. A worthy competitor. Sard will use you, the leader of the fallen inferiors in the Hamian Selter games. Or perhaps you will rise and have your assailants surrender like the cowards they are. Never. You're all butchered. In the courtyard, his selvits rumbled forward, swinging their westicks as they mowed down the inferiors. The Tolton rolled and scrambled. Before Sard could catch him, he had disappeared down the stairs ahead. Sard will find you and will cut your inferior shell into a thousand pieces. Chapter 46 
The Tolton, fearing the end of the world, again descended the torch-lit stairs. Staying above would accomplish nothing, as his Elner had all fallen in the courtyard. He would turn to the Plavka for answers. The air dampened, and he emerged in the flickering firelight along the corridor's moist rock walls. As he ran, the rock shook from the battle above. He heard Nevis resonating through the open chamber door. The other Plavka were seated behind the pyramid in the darkened chamber. Nevis! Nevis! The aliens are in the fortress! Nevis slowly looked up. The time grows short. Do something, said the Tolton as he grabbed him. Nothing can be done. You must leave. The ancient answers will lead you to the passageway out. No, I cannot flee my people. Your people are dead. There is no hope other than following the ancient Taban Shah words and leave. And where are the Taban Shah? asked the Tolton. Where are they now? Nevis placed his hand on the Tolton's shoulder. That is not important. You are the survivor, and you may be the Suryaf Khan. Taban Shah mythology, there is no hope. I tell you what I believe to be the truth. Nevis held his arm and shuffled toward the wall. He nodded to the other Plafka members, still resonating by the pyramid. But he turned when the huge walls separated. A soft, filtered light spread gradually across the inner walls. The white edges of a straight canal, filled with an odd, luminous green fluid, extended from the chamber floor. How can this be? I am not aware of this. From a time of the first Tolton. This is your salvation, said Nevis. The canal extended to a long, curved shore of rich, green-hued liquid extending to the black horizon. Who built this? Perhaps you have been faulty in your judgment of Taban Shah. I question everything about Taban Shah. He wandered away from the Plavka and walked along the surface to the glowing canal. A distant vessel hugged the shore of an endless green sea. Would the boat somehow travel to other lands and reach Taban Shah? Trust in Taban Shah, said Nevis. Down the canal, the warped white bow of the vessel rocked within the luminous green fluid. How do I pilot such a boat? Where is the wind? Nevis lifted his clear crooksel. The crooksel is ancient. It contains the simple messages, if you believe. It's transparent. Nothing is written on this. The Tolton grabbed the crooksel, tucked it in his garment, and started down the canal. Accept and trust, said Nevis as he followed. The words will come once you believe. Bold promises, the Tolton's anger at the Taban Shah intensified as he neared the boat. I don't understand how the total death of a planet can be condoned. Is this Taban Shah's compassion? Trust and accept. I shall do neither. Tabun Shah, if not mere legend, must be held accountable for the destruction of my planet. Wherever I am to go, I will rise again, rise again as the Tolton. The Tolton studied the upper rail and flat perforated copper-colored sails as they approached. A thin white plank extending over the glowing canal connected the deck with the slab. Tabun Shah provides. Am I just to walk on this vessel and trust 
that Tabun Shah will safely deliver me to paradise. You are young. You can chart a new life where you say you will rise again as Tolton. And where are the supplies? How do I eat? This is a death sentence. You must first learn to trust. Nevis dropped to his knees and sat back. He crossed his legs and lifted his fingertips to his temples. As Nevis entered into a deep state of resignation, the Tolton had an odd compunction. Something beckoned him upward and he stepped onto the plank. A wide grainy surface covered the deck of the vessel. Lower stairs were situated further down the boat. He jumped onto the deck and a burst of colored particles emerged through the minute holes in the sails. The boat lurched and coasted forward as the plank vanished into the green glow. Nevis, what have you done? Nevis remained in resignation and the Tolton took the cruxel in his hands. He still saw no writing on the clear surface and was about to hurl it overboard. Instead, he dipped his knees and the boat rocked again. More sweeps of brilliant colored dots passed through the sails and illuminated the blackness above. He could see the Plathka's room for the longest time. As the boat gained speed, he stared at the cruxel. Then he grabbed the solid mast and continuously rocked the boat. The white shoreline in Nevis's form moved farther away as the particles trailed overhead. Trust was something thrust upon him like an elixir. He might find a future life if he did not die on this lifeless sea. Chapter 47 Most inferiors were either in transit to the Aragosta's jestic fields or their skulls prepared for the Death Empire. Sard's inner vengeance dictated he swipe his craw across the Tolton's neck in the course of torturing one of the inferiors betrayed his own selvets and spoke of rooms below the fortress. He and his selvets soon waddled through a constricted tunnel below the Tolton's hallow seal. Light shone onto the rocks ahead. The selvets pointed their shooters inside a port in the rocks. One of the selvets stepped back into the tunnel. We have found the chamber, Bargate Garmin. Unarmed inferiors. Is the Tolton inside? We do not see him. Sard ducked through the opening and swayed his westick, four three aging inferiors seated in front of a clear pyramid matching the monolith on Altashar. The old one watched his selvets, and the rest of the fools kept their appendages perched at their temples. Sard knew the Tabun Shah resonating ritual. Do you pray to Tabun Shah to have a quick death? In death, we will all join Tabun Shah said the one closest to him. Where are they? The inferior shook his head. Where is the Tolton? We have not seen the Tolton. We assume that he is dead. Liar! The rest of you inferiors, stand before Sard. We are the Plavka, the Tolton's advisors, said the third member. You have no business being here. Sard advanced rapidly and sliced the inferior's neck with his craw. His head tumbled across the floor and Saurine beaded on Sard's silver uniform. Sard will kill you all. Look at the body of the coward you call friend. Do you wish the same fate, inferior? One of them stepped closer. I am 
but an aging Albasharian, and I despise your alien ugliness. Insolence. Let us kill him for you, Vagagarmen, called out one of the Salvats. Saad removed his shooter and touched the pad. Green Aptar light danced around the room and surrounded the inferior until he was gone. No one challenges Sard. Your orders, Vargit Garmin. Sard's orders are to chop the remaining inferior body into small pieces and place it in the yestic food bins for consumption by the other inferiors. And then destroy this room. He dipped his head as he moved into the darkened hall and pulled out his fram. Rike! Rike! Yes, Bargagamon! Rike! Sard has not located the Tolton. Prepare shooter reserves for complete vaporization of the Arkham when Sard returns to the vessel. It will be done, Bargagamon! As he hunched over again and started back, he heard the wailing of the last Plafka member. His upper lip vibrated. Near the stairs, his Selvitz hurried down the tunnel with the collected skulls piled into a transport bag. Other Selvitz pointed their shooters back to the room. A bright blue light lit the hall. A few explosions shook the rocks as Sard's fram sounded. Margaret Gammon, this is Huda. Defensive shield has fallen. Sard grows weary of this place. And what of the Tolton? The Tolton will not survive the vaporization of this Urkham's surface. Sard entered the Death Empire's dim light. Upper Nakedom's directed selected light down on the remnants of a battle from reefs in the past. In the distance, Selvitz loaded fresh interior skulls onto the wall gallery. Sard nodded as he passed the dried, browned inferior skulls, stretching down like a road along the length of the Aragosta. Sard has their skulls, but where is Tabun Shah? He shouted. We have scanned the entire Urkham. Nothing, Vargagamon, said his selvet. And below, why no energy source as the other Urkhams? Destroy this inferior Urkham. Sard stared at the inferior skulls. The stench of the inferior dead in the Death Empire only heightened his annoyance with this Urkham. The clustered Ankitas, their mating rituals, and the lack of progress demonstrating their inferiority as a race. Creod life started from within at the proper time. Every last one of these vile creatures deserved death, and the entire civilization needed to be erased from the Humea. Not having the Tolton skull on the Aragosta made conquering this Urkham a useless victory. Of more importance, Sard's attack on the realm required detailed planning and secret alliances. Sard had ultimate respect throughout the realm. He would do anything to topple the upper echelon from power. The small Azakar wafted at the locks, the doors closed, and the pressure gushed into the area. Sard placed his shooter back on his belt and stood. He said nothing to his selvets as he marched into the Azakar opening. It slid open and Sard walked into the bays. Selvitz fell to the ground, but Sard headed for the Thassian tube's red light. He was surprised to see Anchor in full uniform. Glory to you, Sard, Vargit Garmin, he said from the floor. Sard helped him stand. Again, you have performed with honor. Sard nodded and the Thassian opened. 
Zard wishes to be brought to the Icean. The tube sealed and Anchor stared at him as they moved upward. You have conquered another Tabunshar Urkum, yet you act as if you have lost the battle. Zard failed to apprehend the Albasharian leader. This Urkum will be destroyed and later colonized. As far as what the upper echelon might order, I believe you have taken the proper course for the realm. Sarad did not even scan the older Creod's faded matrixes. The echelon knows nothing of battle. Let them sit in their towers, issue useless orders. Like any remaining life on Albashar, time is running out for the upper echelon. Sard is ready to move against them. The tube opened at the Icean. Sard walked ahead of Anchor, pushed the Selvets aside, and positioned himself at the weapons console. The Nakedum showed all the shooter reserves fully charged. Sard personally set the coordinates on the Tolton's fortress. Bargain common, said Roik from behind. I congratulate you on your victory. Sard stared at the yellow schematic of the forces in the blue circular areas of impact. Sard will only be pleased when there is no life left on this Urkum. Another message has been received from the upper echelon. Sard looked up from the Nakedum screen. And what do they want now? They wanted to stop the destruction of Albashar. Sard's fangs slid along his mouth. Fools. They will get what Sard decides to give them. Uta! Set up the Osborne channels near the main power bundles. Sard wants a deliberate interference with the Echelon contact. It will be done, Varga Garmin. And the shooters? Keep the shooters charged. The Tolton and any survivors have been granted a reprise until Sard speaks with the upper Echelon. Anka scanned his old friend. This is the first act of a rebellion. Sard will not be dictated to, as if he had just left his birth shell and is crawling through the swamps. Sard faced anchor next to the giant humming orange piles as the Osborne channel opened. The consoles and Nikitams were slowly transformed into a choppy image of the chambers at the Echelon Towers. Bochak leaned on the triangular black table. The tips of his pink fangs were still visible. What is the problem with this Osborne? The other Echelon members hunkered behind Bocek as Sard dropped to his knees. Sard is responsible for the Oresborg. He wanted to kill them all with his Westick. The Aristoga is experiencing problems with its power bundles. The Echelon would hope you would not experience difficulty in returning to the home Urkum immediately. Yelled Bocek. The Aristoga is immobilized. Rupikans and Selvats are trying to rectify the problem. Ayak moved around the table. Are you saying you will be delayed in returning to the home, Urkum? We cannot fully view you. I will only tell you not to destroy that Urkum. We have decided that the Mantari campaigns have come to an end. You will be elevated upon your arrival at the home, Urkum, and reassigned to a more peaceful command. Sard is... Honored. He lowered his head so they could not see his fully extended fangs. You will become a Vargagaman in the Sortine sectors. Being relegated to the Sortines would leave him in an isolated region of the Humea, 
with no military power. As a military gunman, he would be planted among settlers and traders. It will be done. The Orsbort went out. Sard pummeled the console and hurled a huge corner chunk across the room. His yellow tongue twitched as he slammed three selvets to the floor on his way to the Thassian. Anka stepped aside before the tube was sealed. They moved through the grainy red light. Sard will kill them all. Sard will crush them and their cohorts out of existence. The cross slept through the Thassian field. They threaten the very existence of the realm's security. I am sorry, Varga Garmin. How dare they send Sard to the Sorotines? They do not understand Sard's support within the realm. Let Sard's allies see the injustice of such an act. Creolite sailboats and Proaskas will be honored to fight with Sard again. He will only need two Ambrijazi cars with the Aragosta. Maybe a few freighters. Sard will cut their food lines and halt all Azakars moving in commerce with the Homergum. Bold plans, Margaret Garmin. Yes, old friend. Bold plans. You will summon Elkin for Sard. Elkin helped plan the Mantari campaigns. Find him. Bring him back for his final campaign. It will be done, Margaret Garmin. And what of Albashar? Let Roik and Huda have the glory. Sard will seek the Mantari and the Tabanshar again. Let us test what you have read in their saber. Prepare for the final battle of the Suryaf Khan. Sard has annihilated the Mantari planet, causing the Tolton to flee. He's surrounded by loyal officers, but those on the home planet are plotting against him. Dozens of Mantari have been taken prisoner and will be used in the bloody and torturous games aboard his ship on the way back to the home planet. In episode two, Loftus and Zack will emerge from the passageway, a life-changing experience, after witnessing something midway on their journey. Join me then for episode two of The Vargan Emnis by Robert P. Fitton. Torture will be fierce, no survivors. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.